Hello, friends. You are in the Vital Core Salon. I'm Kara. I'm your host, your salonniere, and I'm here to offer some sonic comfort and conversation to all of you who don't have time for bullshit or burnout in your lives. As some of you may know, I've been making my way down to New York City during the week to work my romp off in a user experience design immersive class at General Assembly. But I was fortunate enough to be able to meet up with Patty Wilcox, today's guest, at Radio Kingston and record this interview live, which is always a little bit of a different experience. I don't know if most of you know this, but many of these episodes are recorded via Skype. Anyways, let me tell you about Patty. Patty co-founded Awestruck Ciders with her partner Casey Vitti in 2013 at the age of 25. From their roots as sole owner-operators, they've ramped up their staff, they've ramped up their production, all to meet their impressive growth in sales. As you can imagine, Patty knows a thing or two about burnout from all that hard work. Today, we're going to learn about some of her anti-burnout quote-unquote rules, as well as how she navigates blind spots at work, and her uncomplicated approach to the somewhat complicated concept of pleasure. And of course, we are going to talk about apples and hard cider. And do stick around. Towards the end of this episode, Patty drops some big news on us as Awestruck really begins to focus on doing good regenerative work in their place. If you think something we covered in this episode will resonate with another woman in your life, please share this episode with them. You can do it right while you're listening by using the share function that most podcast apps have. Just sharing it with one other woman in your life helps this podcast and the work that Patty's doing grow in an organic way. So thank you to all of you that have been sharing. Voila, meet Patty Wilcox of Awestruck Ciders. Patty, welcome to the Vital Core Salon. Thank you. Um, I'm so excited to be here. So Patty, I want people to know who you are and what you do. So you've been making cider in Delaware County, New York. How did you initially get into this? Well, it's a kind of a long story, but I'll try to take the shortcut version. And something that I'll talk a lot about is my business partner, Casey Vitti. He's my boyfriend and business partner. We've been together for about 12 years. Uh, we actually went to high school together in Walton, New York, in Delaware County. We didn't um, sort of meet, like make a connection then, but we did after we both left Walton traveled the world for a little while and found ourselves back at home. So right after, sort of during my first year of college, Casey and I reconnected and we started working construction for his father, who has a construction company, and saving up money because we just worked, 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 worked. And sometimes we weren't paid regularly, as is in the construction world. So all of a sudden we'd get a paycheck for three months back wages and we were like, oh my God, we're loaded what do we do with this? Let's go adventure. So we spent about seven years working construction, saving up, and then traveling as far as we could on that money. And it was actually the perfect preamble to being an entrepreneur because it sort of teaches you delayed gratification. You know, you learn how to spend strategically. And also, 
dealing with all different types of humans and situations around the world, like bribing border officers in Guatemala and being <laughs> detained in Mozambique. The stories that I don't tell my parents until we get home. But so it sort of like adjusts you to a new level of stress <laughs> that you didn't realize you were capable of handling. So that was the perfect preamble. And then we found ourselves back at home again, working again. And we said to one another, this is the worst. Let's start a business and then we can travel full time. Sadly, wow. we were mistaken. You'll find this pretty often in our story that we have this very strong, very naive belief that carries us into a decision that ultimately is very enriching and rewarding, but was very uh, misled to begin with. So we found ourselves back at home and we were commuting to and from work and talking on our commute. And there was uh, this beautiful building in Walton where we live. And I said, wouldn't it be amazing to turn that building into a cider company? And we both thought, yeah, that'd be incredible, but there's no way we could ever start a business, like afford to start a business like that. But Casey's a really inquisitive person and, and he started doing some research just for the fun of it. And we found out that hard cider is actually made just like wine. A lot of people think it's like beer and it's brewed. And beer brewing equipment is very expensive and you have to have professional level brewing equipment when you start. So we were really priced out of that, but you can start a hard cider company with a five gallon bucket, you know, and enough energy. That's really all it takes. Um, well, the colonists here figured that out yeah. very early yeah. on, right? <laughs> they didn't even have plastic. They had wooden barrels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an amazing natural process. So uh, that was pretty much that. And not knowing what we were doing at all is what got us into it. <laughs> wow. So let's back up. <laughs> What were you doing in construction? Were you actually like yeah, so Casey, hauling things, lifting heavy things, yep, banging things together? Absolutely. We spent um, a couple summers roofing. I'm actually a skilled uh, drywall taper, and Casey's a journeyman electrician. Wow. Yeah. So totally different skill set. Totally different. I actually, it's funny because right now my mom just did a renovation on her house, and I volunteered to do the spackling for her just for the pleasure of I, I told her, I just want to do something I'm good at again. <laughs> so that's what it, my evening hobby is for the past couple of days. I wish I knew this about you before <laughs> I just nagged Craig for like a month to spackle our dining room. But I love painting. Oh, it's so nice. Like isn't it? I can just take a roller and go all day. It's transformative. It's amazing. It really is. It's so satisfying to like see something finished at the mm -hmm. end of a day right absolutely because the entrepreneur's path is so not that <laughs> right often not yeah well and that's something that we both love about manufacturing is that it's you get that tactile finished product at the end of the day and that's a huge thing that's that's been really important to us in our business is having being able to do that hands-on work once in a while I'm a little bit jealous because as someone who's constantly worked in services, mm -hmm. basically, whether it was working in finance as a consultant or a controller, or if it was working as a health and lifestyle strategist, after like 20 years of it, like I feel like there have been ways outside of work that it's been really important to me to mm -hmm. like add that, like to physically make something Absolutely. that you can touch because it's so weird to just go for 20 years and you never actually like right. see anything. Have that physical palpable thing. 
Yeah, like that's got to be like so satisfying. It is. Every once in a while, for the most part, we have things fairly well delegated at at this point. Uh, but once in a while, I'll end up bottling actually really often because I enjoy it. And it, after the end of a bottling day, it's like, oh, my God, that felt so good to just do something that like I have the result here in front of me. And it's really beautiful. So why hard cider? So we actually during our travels discovered hard cider all over the world. So it's really prevalent drink in the UK, in Europe, even we spent some time in Argentina and cider is used to toast the new year and the holidays. So we had discovered it's just this really delicious, wonderful, flexible beverage. And we're here in New York. Say what you will about New York, but we know that there's an amazing apple industry, apple crop, apple farms, orchards. So it just was the thing that made the most sense to us to make cider. As a born and raised New Englander, it really makes my heart sing. And as someone who had to go gluten-free about five years ago, it is making me so happy to see this sort of resurgence in Mm -hmm. cider. Period. It's like it's more creative. It's more places like people are doing such radical things with it. It's that's one of the things that really attracted me to begin with to hard cider was it's kind of it was kind of like the Wild West and it still is. There's no rules. It's made like wine, but there's no stodginess of like we've made it this way for hundreds of centuries. People haven't made it since early 1900s, you know, for a lot of people. So there's no like old cider families that are insisting on, you know, this is the terroir and stuff like that. <laughs> I love wine. I'm not, I'm not downing wine. I just, what I loved about it was, so most of our flavors incorporate spices. This is a really long story. Go but, for it. So, um, so just like there's wine grapes and then eating grapes, there's cider apples and eating apples. And all of the cider apples got knocked down during prohibition they aren't really useful for anything except fermenting why is that is it the flavor profile the texture yes absolutely so they're very tannic um some of them are very acidic there's a sometimes they're called spitters because you bite into them and you spit them out (laughs) instantly because it's like oh this isn't food but that liquid ferments so well i mean if you taste a merlot grape it's not a delicious concord grape you know it's Mm -hmm. it but when once it's gone through that fermentation process it's got structure and body and so many beautiful flavor notes but many of the cider apple orchards are long gone and it's starting to come back as cider gets more popular which is a beautiful thing but when we first started in 2013 they just really weren't available cider apples Uh, so we thought let's go a different way so we want to create structure we want to create complexity we want um, you know to create this beverage that keeps people coming back for more so why don't we look toward other beverages like even coca-cola i mean that's an herbal infusion that mm-hmm. nobody, I mean, obviously it's gotten very industrialized, Yes, but it started as an herbal infusion. And so we turned our focus toward working with herbs and spices that would add complexity and enrich the beverage and take things in a new direction rather than just repeating what had been done in the past. So this is probably a good place. Talk about some of the flavor profiles that you've been playing with or that are some of your staple brands. So, um, well, our flagship is our hibiscus ginger cider. When we started making cider, my one insistence, okay, no, I, I insisted on a lot of things. I'm an insist, I'm an insister. Uh, an insistent sister? Yes. I'm, yeah. So uh, 
I've learned to accept that about myself. I had to have a pink cider. So when we first started, I had to have a pink cider. That was my thing. We have to have a pink cider. So we used hibiscus, which is so popular elsewhere in the world. And it gives that beautiful natural pink color. And we paired it with ginger just to give it a little bit of warmth. Our hibiscus ginger isn't very bold. None of our flavor, I get to design the flavors. It's the best part of my job. I love it so much. Flavor innovation has got to be so radically fun. It's the best part. I actually have an art degree uh, and I just, I'm like a flavor artist. And Casey backs me up and he takes my crazy things and makes them like actually scientifically recreatable. But I get to do the (laughs) art side, which is really fun and just like tinker. But so uh, hibiscus ginger, none of our flavors are super powerful. They're just sort of like, we want it to complement the apple. We don't want it to consume and overpower the apple. We want people to know that they're drinking cider, but we want it to complement and add to the flavor. So we also have lavender hops with us. Which I love. Yes. So uh, lavender hops is a flavor I designed actually because I wanted pink, purple liquid. But unfortunately, lavender doesn't turn things purple naturally. It's a beautiful purple itself, but it just makes things kind of a murky brown. It sounds like you need butterfly peas. Yes. (laughs) We've actually played around with that a little bit. Although the citrus would probably make it hard to get that chemical reaction, right? Well, we actually can play with acid so that people could like squeeze a lime into it and change it. But we haven't gone there yet. How magic would that be? Can you imagine if Corona changed color, right? Like when you put a lime in, you could... This could be your thing, Patty. It uh, Honestly, so my biggest thing is trying to not do the creative (laughs) stuff all the time (laughs) and not create new flavors all the time but we have uh, at our facility we have a tap room and what's fun is we have 10 draft lines that are constantly rotating and we make them one keg at a time so I get to have a lot of fun with that just tinkering and making this flavor and that. So maybe if you promise you're going to come out to visit I will put a blue pea flower cider on just for you amazing (laughs) i can't even imagine like squeezing a lime or a lemon and just watching my drink turn purple in front of me it's so cool butterfly peas are the most magical thing i just got a new shipment of them recently and i've just been playing around with like lemonades like at the beach for the last couple of weeks isn't beverage so amazing i love it so much it's this amazing force for connection and community and discovery and adventure even just in a glass. Yes, which is funny that you say this because I am definitely one of those people I don't drink at home. Mm -hmm. Like I realized both Craig and I work from home. Like Mm -hmm. we each have our own sort of office space in the house. But when you live and work at home all the time, you just want to get out. And I realized like I never drink at home. Like Maybe if there's company, I might have like a glass of wine or a cider, Mm -hmm. but that's about it. But then it's like, it's such a joy to get out and like have something special to drink and really just like that social component. Absolutely. It's a really beautiful part of the industry. It sounds like you've built that into Ostrup as a brand and as a physical location that people can visit. Absolutely. That's sort of my vision for the company is, so I I feel like pleasure is almost a dirty word in where we live uh, in the United States. Were you born, you were born in Delaware County. Okay. So 
I feel like you're close enough that you probably have some of the puritanical like overflow from New England. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've got this sort of sense of like inappropriateness around something being pleasurable. But I think it's crucial to our human lives. We need that. And that's sort of been my vision to begin with is someone coming home from a long, hard day at work and they get their favorite glass out of the cabinet and a chilled bottle of awestruck out of the fridge and then pour themselves, sit down, take a deep breath, pour themselves a glass and just savor that. Like just to give yourself 15 minutes to enjoy a thing that you're doing, having a delicious crafted beverage. I think everyone needs that in their life every day. Maybe not alcohol and not even necessarily awestruck, but just that 15 minute like break to give yourself a feeling of pleasure. And I think people get really caught up sometimes that pleasure or especially as a health and lifestyle strategist for 10 years, hearing people bug out about like what self-care is and that it it's too expensive it's too time consuming i am such a pragmatic person by nature right mm-hmm. like i have an asymmetrical haircut and i think people think that's a fashion choice but really about eight years ago i recognized i was done fighting that one side of my hair was curlier than the other so i <laughs> talked to my stylist at the time and i was like what do we got for options here? Like, I just don't like this right side because it just does one loopy curl that goes directly into my mouth. <laughs> That's it. And so, like, I think people think that a lot of the things that I do are, like, cultivated, but they're so not. It's really <laughs> raw pragmatism. Like, I just don't want to deal with this problem anymore, so I am going to eradicate it. That's fantastic. But I think pushing on people about that especially around self-care, like pleasure, self-care, those things do not need to be expensive or time-consuming. Not at all. I'm The best self-care, even scientifically proven, is med- meditation. And that's free. That's just sitting and quieting your mind. It's just about taking the time to do that. Or hanging onto the reins as the wild horses drag you some days. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, I, I meditate every morning and Really, it typically is just hanging on to the reins as the wild horses drag me. But I celebrate myself for just taking that time. Whether I'm effective with it or not, it is important to take the time, set aside that block. And maybe one day I'll be really good at it. But I've got years to practice. Same here. And it's funny, I use Headspace. Mm -hmm. And just this morning, I'm in the middle of a 10-pack of guided meditations around restlessness. (laughs) And I literally couldn't stop wiggling this morning. I was like, I get to interview Patty. I have this other meeting that I'm super excited about. Like, I'm doing all this stuff. Like, <laughs> I was like, I just can't wait to get on with my day. Like, the 20 minutes were excruciating, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. It was a pack <laughs> about restlessness. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's definitely like that. It's a fight for me to, like, put my phone down and just take a break. But the dividends that it pays throughout the day are so important. And it amazes me, the people that I talk to that also meditate, you know, it's not this hippy-dippy transcendental thing anymore. It's a valid scientific act of self-care that leads to productivity. Leads to everything going more smoothly, I find, Mm -hmm. or with less friction. Or when the friction comes up, just like, okay, 
my new mantra has been, this is a moment of suffering. Mm. Suffering is part of life. And then kind of thinking about how can I be kind? How can I be compassionate to myself in this moment? Mm -hmm. And just kind of being with whatever is coming up. And sometimes it's like, I am freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's my go-to state. (laughs) (laughs) Because what what is your role every day, right? Like, yeah. you and Casey are running the show, but what does that actually translate into? Well, every day is totally different. Every day is completely different. So yesterday I was trying to be a manager and also bottling and also assembling coffee tables. And <laughs> this morning I drove three different deliveries out to Kingston uh, and, and I'm meeting here with you. So every day is totally different. Um, and, and so we started Awestruck in we we incorporated in 2013 and it was just me and casey and we did every single thing ourselves oh my god yeah it started with just the two of us we went on that way i think for about a year um and i remember before we hired our first employee i was in tears of stress at like we can't be employers we can't do this this is too difficult and another recurring theme of my life and then we did do it and it was amazing and actually the first person we hired is still with us today he is our production foreman and we're so honored to have someone who has taken the journey right alongside us amazing that is amazing but so now we're a team of 12 plus we have another 12 independent contractors this is in the space of like five years we went from just the two of us yeah and so i i just every day is different and i'm i'm really trying to develop my skills as a manager and that is the biggest challenge i've ever had in my entire life because it's i care about people i think we have the most caring wonderful team and trying to provide for them in uh, the way that a good manager should is a whole new skill set where are you having to self-educate or or get some more experience? Oh, it's just constant. We're sort of at the stage now where Casey and I are being very pragmatic about who we are, what our skills are, and we know that we are not necessarily cut out for management. And it's it happens a lot in in, you know, the bigger entrepreneurial endeavors where the founders don't end up being the CEOs. So, Mm -hmm. you know, while we're really passionate about our business, what we do, we care so much about the people we hire. We're actually looking to hire someone who is better at managing than we are. Instead of trying to fight who we are and become the Peter Druckers of the world, we want to just embrace who we are, what we're good at, and bring someone in who who is a managerial person who's passionate about empowering employees and giving them goals and we want all of that for our team but we don't know how to do that and and we're we're learning as we go but uh that's sort of the next phase for awestruck is bringing someone on board who can really give our team what they what they're seeking that has to be super difficult to really look at your own skill sets. I mean, I guess you and Casey have each other yeah. to sort of hold a mirror up because <laughs> sometimes it's it's hard to see your own blind spots. So it's been this past 
sort of six months year has been a big wake up call for both of us. And it's honestly so freeing to say, I'm allowed to be good at what I'm good at and not have to try to be good at what I'm bad at. Mm -hmm. It's just liberating. And the amount of energy that you would have to invest Mm -hmm. in yourself to get from A to B to get past that gap and to have that or to have that gap filled or spackled in, you might say. (laughs) But it's, I saw this with with clients. Mm -hmm. I would use, have you heard of Strength Finder 2.0? Yeah. I love that test. Like just in terms of like recognizing like where people's natural strengths are and trying to work from there. And I was always surprised sometimes when a client was like pushing so hard to be doing this thing and then we would you know I'd say let's pull out that strength finder report again and it was so the opposite of of where their natural skill set was and it's like can we just look at this differently because I and you know as an outside observer I was able to say like hey I see your skills are this but you are really trying to push the boulder up the hill over here I don't get it am I missing something and then you know, usually that awareness would hopefully trigger some new thought for them. Absolutely. But yeah, the, it's so easy to create our own burnout sometimes, oh, right? Absolutely. It's, I, I almost feel like all burnout is self-made. <laughs> sometimes life kicks up the shit. But That's true. That is true. <laughs> but for certain, we do contribute to it. Absolutely. I mean, has burnout ever been a thing for you? Absolutely. So at the end of last year, uh, I was I was actually ready to just walk out of the company and just wow. give up completely. Just just completely just give up. And we are really so fortunate. We have so many trusted advisors and people that really care about us. And so I met with one of our advisors and I said, I. I need an out of this. And he introduced us to a friend of his who is a consultant that had worked with startups for the past sort of 30 years. And he said, you need to bring this guy on. And so we met with him. I, as it was a principle of mine that we would never hire a consultant. (laughs) Never. Like, I'm very... um, I'm insanely frugal and against waste. And uh, so I was like, we will never hire a consultant, but you are a trusted advisor. So I will meet with this man and we'll see how it goes. And so we met, he gave us an offer on coming on board. And we said, honestly, you know, we value you, but we have too much to do to bring you on right now. And the trusted advisor, Cliff is his name that we had sat down with to begin with said, you need to hire him right now if you ever want to recoup your investment in this business. And so we were like, okay, there's a wake-up call. We're going to listen to you. We <laughs> trust you for a reason. And so we brought on the consultant, Mike, um, and he has been with us for, we're just about actually over the hump. And um, he consulted us for about six months and really helped us turn things around and get things back under control and helped us beat that stage of burnout. Wow, because, I mean, burnout is so common among entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And I guess 
as someone whose life partner is also their partner at work, does that create an additional challenge for you both? It does and it doesn't. To be honest, I don't know how people do it without being a Like when one person in a couple is the entrepreneur and the other has a steady job, the challenges of being an entrepreneur, I feel like no one can understand that except another entrepreneur. It's different. It's so different and you just can't comprehend it. So we have the advantage of understanding one another really well. So I would say being a couple has actually helped us more than anything else in terms of burnout. But that burnout was really a result of many factors. So we doubled our numbers. We grew by 100%. And actually, we're on track to do that again this year, which is, you know, you read about it in the news and you're like, oh, this company is exploding. And while you're actually in that, it really feels like explosions. (laughs) Like it is insanely disruptive to grow at that pace. And when you are the founders trying to become all things to all people and and steer that growth, it just becomes overwhelming. And what we did to sort of stay afloat was delay, 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 delay. Anything that we possibly could delay, we just delayed. Mm -hmm. And after doing that for a year, the, the pile of things that you've delayed is ready to swallow you whole. Mm-hmm. And so that was really what the um, what Mike helped us discover was that we had to put a pause on growth and take care of the things because there's something so pride inducing about growth. It's like as if it's this like great, holy, wonderful thing. And growth is a very good thing, but it has to be balanced. To speak totally openly, we were a year behind on filing our taxes. We had filed the extensions, but it still wasn't done. It wasn't getting done. And so, you know, and that meant we were actually two years behind because we didn't have the books for the current year running yet. Like, so one of the things that we did was hire a really great, actually we discovered unknown talent within our team, um, Bridget, who we had actually as the production assistant, Derek's production assistant was a graduate in accounting, bookkeeping and accounting. (laughs) had a a bachelor's degree. And so she got our books together for us. And Jessica, who came on board um, early last year, also just what had happened was I had a to-do list about a mile long. Mm -hmm. And Mike said, delegate everything on that list. And if they can't do it, then you do it. But first see, because I wasn't trusting our staff to do it. And and they just rose to the top. Like it was just unbelievable to me, the hidden talents that our team had. And that was actually probably the most major turning point in that burnout was it has to get done. You think you're the only one that can do it. You can't even do it. If you haven't <laughs> done it yet, you can't do it. So delegate it, see what they get done. And they knocked it out of the ballpark. They got us through that list so in a, in a matter of months, the list that had been hanging over my head for a year was resolved. So the task list is something that I geek out about in an insane way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know this about me, but I have been trying to collect 33,000 handwritten task lists from women. Oh, my God. I'm at, as of right now, 2,090. Um, It turns out there is a whole bunch of women that will go to their grave with like their task list in their cold, (laughs) dead hands, especially those bullet journalers. (laughs) But 
in 10 years of listening to private conversations with women, that was something the frazzled type A crowd that I worked with a lot. It was weaponized, right? Mm -hmm. Like the amount of like, when you really peeled back the layers of like, tell me why you're not sleeping. Tell me, all right, what time are you going to bed? Are you eating before bed? Are you drinking a lot of booze? Like what's happening? You know, I would be looking for things like in terms of functional nutrition. And then it would really just be like the anxiety and like the free floating chest constricting, like (gasps) gasping for air because their task list is too long. I have to ask, how were you coping with that? Like, was that something that bothered you? Just like the weight of stuff that was piling up? Absolutely. So I actually am a believer in the value of distraction. So definitely it can it can burn you to distract yourself too much, but it can also help you cope. I think distraction is a valuable coping mechanism. So that was sort of my game plan was just like, just distract and and like nothing like listening to just fiction audiobooks or just my favorite authors even you know like Malcolm Gladwell I I just listen to him and I get absorbed into it and it just takes me away for a minute so what the problem with that is then that list can you know so during the time of distraction you're great and you're fine and you're not brought down by anxiety but your list isn't being tackled and it's continuing to grow So I've tried so many different methods. I tried index cards and boxes. And most recently I've been trying, um, I read some, an article that recommended just write your whole to-do list down. Just write a huge long list, which is what everybody says not to do. And then just go through it and whichever one pops out at you that you feel like doing, do that and just get it done. Uh, That is is not effective for me so far. Because now I've just got another huge long list. But what is effective is delegating and having a team that supports you in the things that need to get done and carving out the time to do it. So our biggest, the reason we ended up at burnout wasn't because of the major things that you would think, like the sales engine was not our problem. I thought it was our problem, but it was not our problem. What was our problem was like, things that we were sort of iffy on compliance of, you know, like, okay, we filed our tax extension, but if we have any taxes due, that's mounting an interest. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of stuff that I think is easy to, it's, it doesn't feel like it's on fire right now. Like, oh, we filed the extension, so we're fine. But the reality is that could catch fire at any minute. And really those embers are baking you, right? Yep. And so just acknowledging those little things and making time to get those done and it's a cost. That's mm-hmm. the other thing is like, okay, so doing these compliance tasks aren't generating revenue, but if we don't, we won't be allowed to generate any revenue and it's a huge risk to take. Absolutely, and it's as someone who has a CPA for 12 years and a controller in early stage startups, I'm laughing because I know, right? Because it's such an unsexy part <laughs> for founders, right? Like a lot of the clients that I was working with were in the tech space. So, you know, being in New York in that scene and everyone's like making something and it's big and, Mm -hmm. you know, who knows who and all of that stuff. And I can't even count, like, I mean, I had one job where when I initially got hired, I walked in the first day and there was literally, there had to be, a hundred crumply like pieces of paper and post-its 
And when I started going through it, it was like nobody had balanced cash since the previous like bookkeeper had been there. So I think like, you know, by the time I got hired and gave my notice and got started, it was probably like about a month or so later. And people were just writing checks and like on a post-it, maybe they would put the date, the amount and who it went to. But sometimes I only had two out of three things or it might be like check number $500 to who, when. (laughs) Like I literally had to go to the bank and try to get like copies of checks because I mean, it wasn't all totally online at that point. And it was just like, what is happening here? But it's not the fun part of the business. Right. Absolutely. And it doesn't it doesn't feel like so we were talking earlier about like you achieve you accomplish this physical thing that you get done. Right. And it doesn't feel the same as dropping off an order, you know. No, running a report out of QuickBooks is definitely not as exhilarating as like <laughs> seeing people smile when they like receive a case of cider. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not the same as serving up a pint. It's very different. So what have you had to learn about prioritization then because right, you, you're mentioning having this like giant list that you've been able to clear but I'm sure the list is just backfilling while we sit here yeah absolutely so what we do in terms of prioritization and it's a struggle all all day every day but uh, I try to take a couple minutes in the morning every morning to look over my list and see if there's anything that has a deadline because that's the easiest thing to prioritize by right like if a delivery has to be made on a certain date if there's a market this date or an event this date, like that's just really easy. That's the first thing we have to take care of. And then um, I meet with different members of our staff and we talk over what's on their lists and and try to work together to say this is the most important thing. Uh, but it just, the, the priorities are constantly shifting and I, attempting to make one rule about what's the most important is just, it doesn't... Feudal. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just not even realistic. It's just, I spent years thinking that sales was our problem and that we we had to sell, we had to sell, we had to sell, we had to sell, we had to focus on sales, we had to sell, we had to sell. There was nothing, but we had, there's nothing we had to do except sell. Meanwhile, we were out of stock probably every other week, if not more often. But in my mind, it was still sell, 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 sell like make revenue, like this is how a company stays in business. And this but was, not expecting you would actually have to fulfill those orders <laughs> equally as timely, right? Or just like, of co- like, then just freaking out because the order wasn't fulfilled, like we sold and why don't we have it? But like not ever realizing that. So, you know, our business grew, but our production, we didn't really make improvements in production, you know, as quickly as was merited. And so that was one thing that um, Mike helped us, the consultant helped us realize that we had to make improvements to our production and, you know, improve our efficiency, upgrade our machinery, upgrade our capabilities. So that's what we've been doing sort of the past three months. And we're almost buttoned up on that, which is so exciting. It's really awesome. Um, Still slower than we want. Uh, Going out on sales is one of the most challenging parts of my job. But the idea like marketing and sales is actually sort of the most rewarding because that's where people really get to interact with your product. Mm-hmm. It's just such a balance. And I, I just default to thinking we always need to make more sales. But <laughs> so that tends to be one of our priorities. But so I guess my point is like if I at the start of the business said our only priority is sales, well, that would have backfired because mm-hmm. three months ago it wasn't. It was production upgrades. 
Got it. So it's got to be really challenging to try to like hold all these pieces at once because you are what a team of 24 now? Is that sort of? Yeah. So we're 12 um, on site and then another 12 that do farmers markets, events and tastings throughout the region, throughout New York State. Awestruck was the first cider that Craig and I bought locally when we bought our house here two years ago. We went to the farmer's market, I think the first or second weekend that we were here just to get out because we had been painting and doing a bunch of stuff around the house. And we came across Awestruck at the farmer's market and ended up like walking away with a case of it. I was like, can we just buy a case (laughs) and just have this? So like when we have company and- That's awesome. Yeah. It's so great. The, all of the cider has made everyone really happy. Great. That's so good. But it's so challenging to run the business and look at all of these pieces. How do you also then keep work and life in check? Because I know for me as an entrepreneur, like it's a challenge some days when you like what you do to put it away. Absolutely. So um, Casey and I have a few rules. Uh, I don't know if he would ever acknowledge them as that, but to me, they're just rules. So one thing that we do is we don't count hours. We, I think it's so toxic for an entrepreneur. We use it as a badge of honor. I worked 80 hours and it's so bad for you. And yet culturally we're like, oh wow, you're such a hard worker. It's like, you're just destined for burnout. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't count hours. Um, and But what we do do is take two full days off every week. Two full days. That is incredibly impressive to me. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't always happen every week, but it is our aim. So that's that's our coping mechanism sort of is saying we take two full days off and they are boring and they kind of suck. <laughs> Right. Because we want to get into it. Like they're just it's like I, we literally like we're just like in the house like I'm bored. But I I need we, we finally realized we need that 48 hours of boredom to recuperate for the week ahead. Because even if, if we go out and do one fun thing one day, we're still sort of burnt out for the next week. Mm-hmm. So we just deliberately are like bored for two days. Maybe we'll go out to dinner like that's the most exertion fun that we do. And that's been huge for us because that, that's been sort of, we've actually been doing that for a couple of years. So that's been really big. Um, the other thing we do is really try to maintain the boundary between employee and friend. And I think that's a really important distinction, especially for a lot of people in the startup world, because you care so much about your employees and you're all working together on this beautiful vision. But if you try to turn them into friends, Mm-hmm. you're going to burn them out as well because the emotion there's already emotions involved just in employment and then you add the friendship level in there and it just gets overbearing for everyone so i think everyone deserves the freedom like even for the employees it's their freedom that we are not saying like hey let's all go grab a drink after work like i want them to have their own personal lives as well of course we do team building stuff and that's so much fun and i really enjoy working with the people that we have on our team. It's honestly a pleasure to work with everyone that we have on our team. Uh, But so I think it is important. I don't, they never come to our house. I think most of our employees have never seen the inside of our house. And um, it's not something where we're like, hey, let's hang out and do this thing after work. We just draw the line there to give everyone the space they need to have their own lives outside of work. And I think that's actually really important. That's a really 
fascinating boundary. How do you break it down for people? Because it's got to be confusing for people that are used to working in the startup space because there is that like murky. Yeah. And it I've seen it go really, really well where I just had one boss that it it really was. I mean, we were like the island of misfit toys, right? And it worked really, really well. And then I've worked in other cultures where it was no no bueno. Yeah. <laughs> Early on, we hired some friends. And the result of that was really honestly tragic as far as I'm concerned. We lost really valuable friends out of the situation and led them to have some of the most frustrating months in their lives from having bosses that cared so much about them but didn't know how to give them the guidance they needed, the space they needed, the boundaries they needed. So just from learning that, uh, you know, I, I, all of our employees, I would, I care so much about them. Um, they are people that I would be friends with, but I don't think, I think it's so important to give everyone the space. You know, we talk about entrepreneurs needing life outside of work. Well, employees need that too. And it's not really fair to obligate them to spend weekends with you outside of work or or even inviting them in a way sometimes even just the invitation of that is an obligation. Exact that's exactly because there's right. a there's a difference in power. Yes. Right? They're implicit or or not. Absolutely. So I think that's actually I, I think it's important. And maybe maybe it comes off as cold to people viewing it from the outside. But it's also the the emotional burden of being a boss, of being a business owner is high. I think mm-hmm. that's one of the most significant co- contributions to burnout. And when you don't have a social interaction that's separate from that, it just it just becomes all consuming. I can believe that. And I'm sorry you had to experience it to learn that lesson. Yeah. Well, that's life, isn't it? Say la vie <laughs> for certain. <laughs> How do you communicate it? Because you you mentioned it could come off as cold to the listeners. I want to challenge you on that assumption because I think how we communicate things, especially when it's difficult things. Yeah. What have you learned about communicating that? Like, is it something you talk about when you bring someone on or is it? No, it's it's not. It's actually really simple. We just don't invite them to do friendly <laughs> things. <laughs> And then it's simple. And then, you know, if they um, propose to us to do something that's a team building thing at work and we have the opportunity and the finances to do so, we're so game for that as long as we're maintaining professionalism. But we're really fortunate in that, um, you know, even Derek, our first employee, he was a person that craved that same thing that we do of like the space between work and home life. So and and our whole team has really gotten on board with that. If we see them out, if we're out and they're out, we say hi, we buy a round. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like anything like that, but like you have cooties outside of work. <laughs> no, right. It's none of that. But I think that I, I don't know. I get bewildered because I hear about like businesses where, oh, the owners invite us to a barbecue at their house once a year and I just don't feel the. I don't see the need for that. I don't see the benefit in it. Uh, and I think there's ways to show people that you care so much about them and the work that they're doing that doesn't involve bringing them into your home. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What are some examples for women listening that might be running a business or even in a department in a larger organization? What can we learn about balancing that? That's I, I honestly don't have the answer to that 
myself. My goal it, with all of our employees is to give them an environment where they can feel dignified about the work that they're doing, where we can offer them flexibility to have a little bit of, a, of their own lives as much as possible. That's kind of one of the perks of manufacturing is that we are able to be slightly more flexible. As long as we get this order done by this date, we can sometimes work around things. This is why I feel the need for a really excellent manager on our team because, and actually we both know one another from the Good Work Institute. And it's a question that I sort of posed to Matt Stinchcomb, the mm -hmm. founder, um, just about a year ago was sort of, it's really easy to give your employees a paycheck and it's a lot harder to give them a sense of purpose and accomplishment. So that's sort of what we strive for and what we're aware that maybe we're not able to give yet, um, just based on who we are and the position that the business is in. But it is, I think, holding the vision toward getting that goal. Your employees can tell that you care about them. I think in, in little actions, you know, and, and just noticing things uh, like just silly little like bringing in small tokens of congratulations and stuff from time to time for a job well done rather than we're buddies. So I, I got you this tea that you like. It's you did so well and you pulled this off. Here's just a little a little token of, of my appreciation for what you did. And that acknowledgement. I mean, I think again, much like the pleasure and self-care part of the conversation, we tend to think creating these structures, especially when it's a larger organization, but the act of just showing a simple acknowledgement, right? Like when you bring in donuts, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've never been more shocked by the power of like a 12 pack of donuts, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> Right. Like what that can do when again, paired with here's recognition of of something that you did or I just want to say I noticed and yeah. also just listening oh, like that's I, actually the hugest right like it's so rare I think these days to really be able to look people in the eye and and have that kind of conversation and just have people walk away going wow she really heard what I said that's huge on all of these I just want to like admit that these are goals. They are things that I do not accomplish <laughs> regularly, but uh, it is important to me to try to do those things. And that's actually one of my biggest pushes, especially after burnout is really taking the time to appreciate the things that are going well and, and to listen. That's so valuable hearing you say that because I forget I want to be listened to. And sometimes I get frustrated that I'm not, and I can't imagine what the, what my employees, what my team is going through. And then what well. a gift it is to receive it, right? Yeah, like absolutely. when we know how bad we want to be heard, because that's me too. Yeah. And it's to then get that in return is amazing. It yeah. just feels so good. And absolutely. again, it's free. Yeah. Right? Like, but much like meditation, not always easy. Yeah. Like to really be listening to someone, like what are they really saying? Not what do I think they're saying? Like running it through all of our own garbage and filters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And I, by the way, people, I'm going to, Patty jumped off the pedestal and I am jumping off right behind her. This is something, you know, you're, the listeners are getting, a, you know, an organized show and, <laughs> and it's professionally edited. So, yeah, it's not always perfect in, in my house. 
in my house, my office. I guess I live and work in the same place. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's the same here. For sure. So, Patty, I want to back up. You talked about Good Work Institute and how we've both gone through the program and their fellowship. And you mentioned Matt. I, I guess talk about what good work means to you. I was part of the first Hudson Valley cohort and I participated when our business was very young and very small. I think we had maybe just four employees at the time. And it is so funny for me to look back now on the things that I was thinking of then, but I'm so glad that I did do it at that stage because one of the things that's really important to me, I'm doing business in the county where I grew up, in the town where I grew up, and surrounded by people that I care about so much, just the general population. And we are in a manufacturing town, and it breaks my heart to see the people going into their jobs day after day with their heads down and, you know, just doing what they can to survive. That is just like heartbreaking to me. So it's been my goal very from very early on to create a type of employment that is empowering to the people that are part of it. And uh, so even just from having traveled a little bit and, and being exposed to other ways of doing things, we have a lot of goals and dreams for the future of our business, uh, maybe that aren't, aren't feasible now. So what do we want? We want to, right now we're exploring options of phantom stock, which mirrors, it's sort of like an employee stock ownership um, that mirrors stocks because we are regulated by the Liquor Authority and the Federal Tax and Trade Bureau. Employee ownership gets a little bit trickier, but it is something that we are exploring options on. We ultimately want to get to the place where we have a 30-hour work week and full benefits and full-time pay. We're trying to beat the rate of minimum wage from New York State, those minimum wage increases. But the reality is that we are a shoestring business funded by two 20-something-year-olds, founded founded and funded. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, honestly, we are not... I would say these dreams are at least a decade out. But I think holding on to those dreams is the difference because there are a lot of companies that if they had stuck with their ideals from 10 years ago would be doing a lot more good now. So anyway, the the segue from all this, the really exciting news that I'm going to share with you today that I haven't shared yet with any of is that we have started the paperwork to form the Awestruck Foundation. And what? I'm so excited about this. So it started pretty much very similarly to the way Awestruck started with a conversation in the car while Casey and I were commuting to and from work. <laughs> and I said, Casey, I really want to do something to give back, but there are so many needful things in the world. There are so many people that need so many things, so many places that need things. Especially as you've traveled as much as we just scratched the surface on. Absolutely. I mean, that's a whole other conversation on just understanding the life in the world when you see the things that are out there. Uh, but so I, he's been there with me and seen them all with me. You know, we, we spent a month in Zimbabwe. We went to Cuba and um, 
it's just been our eyes are open we're also very naive but our eyes are mostly open to the world and i said i don't know what cause to get behind there's also so many mm-hmm. nonprofits already out there like what are we going to do start i want to start my own but why would i start another when there's so many causes out there and he said well the one thing that will save potentially save this plant the entire planet from doom is planting trees mm-hmm. he was like if you want the planet to stay alive we have to start planting trees. Let me guess, some apple trees among you those? You guessed it. So <laughs> the evolution of the conversation um, is that our mission at the Ostrich Foundation will be to plant public municipal orchards in our local communities. Whoa. So that we're feeding the planet and feeding our community. I'm really excited. We have, we're hoping to start fundraising and planting this year. I can't finalize any of that yet, but I hope that everyone will stay tuned for news on that. But that's sort of... I, I've always really wanted. <laughs> so the the Good Work Institute talks about being regenerative, mm-hmm. and we spent many years saying, "How do we be regenerative when we're not even generative yet?" And which is a struggle for entrepreneurs. It's especially like with social enterprise models and B corps and things like that. What it puts on the backs of entrepreneurs who are trying to to do good and make the right decisions. But I love your honesty where you're talking about like some of these dreams and visions that we have for this company are 10 year plans. Yeah. Right. But if you have a pathway to doing something as as I say simple, but it's not simple of raising the minimum wage, for example, if you think you're going to go from eight dollars or whatever it is currently in New York right now to 15 or 16 or 20 or let's go crazy 30 right whatever that number is if you don't have a path to making incremental change over time how is that going to be possible and how are you going to get people to buy in going from eight to eighteen dollars right right but going from eight to nine in two years is one thing and nine to eleven a couple years later totally different scenario right absolutely absolutely yeah and so while we don't have a lot of financial resources right now and we're having to sort of put all that back in we have an amazing community that cares so much that's really supported when we first started we didn't have a tap room because i said no one will come no one will support (laughs) us no one is no one cares about what we're doing and it's turned into a huge and important fixture in our business. And the community has been so unbelievably supportive, so kind. We just had our sixth birthday party last weekend. It was- Oh, congratulations. Thank you, six years in business. And um, it was just amazing. And, but so what resources do we have? Leveraging what we've got. And so we've got a community that cares. We've got a team that is so caring and passionate. And they're all on board with the Ostrak Foundation, ready to help in any way that they can. So um, I'm really excited to see what we're able to accomplish as a community doing this. And I think that hopefully it will yield lots of delicious apples. (laughs) And New York State has a lot of focus on growing apples in the state, right? I remember being at R&R Taproom. I don't know if you know R&R. I don't. They do beer, but they also do some ciders. You should know about them. I know. I'll have to visit. Um, It's just over in Woodstock. But I think it was one of the bartenders that fills in part-time also is 
part of the is it a Cornell program where they're looking at yeah at cultivating apples and different varietals and really understanding how that's all working you can probably explain it much better than I can getting it from a bartender two drinks deep <laughs> yeah it's a long there's there's amazing ap- apples are just this really amazing plant they're just incredible um, so there's way a lot to it. But yeah, definitely there's a lot of research in New York State about apples. What we are aiming for is the most resilient. <laughs> I've been calling orchards and nurseries and Cornell and saying, what trees require the absolute least amount of maintenance? <laughs> because our plan is to volunteer, have volunteers maintain the orchard and not charge for apples, just keep it completely open to the public where if you want to bring in a bushel basket, for yourself and your family, that's that's for you. You you are welcome to it. So we're we're looking for resistant types. If there's anyone that's listening that has any advice for us on this, the people at Cornell have been so kind and generous with their um, knowledge and sharing their expertise with us. So we'll see how things evolve over the coming weeks. But I did I was hoping to share that with you guys exclusively today. Oh, thank you, Patty. And it it excites me to see and hear and learn about like what you're doing especially as a fellow good work fellow there really needs to be a gender neutral term for fellow (laughs) every time i say it i feel like weird about using it i feel like a kindred soul i I feel like going through that especially as someone newer to the hudson valley i mean i had only been here less than two years when i went through my cohort and the, the community that it instantly has given me has been so powerful and, and really helpful to me in sort of winding down the health and lifestyle strategy practice and feeling all the feels about that. Yeah. Um, I, I've definitely talked about it in an earlier podcast, but I, I think having that feeling like your pockets are full with social capital <laughs> And you're not alone and other people have like gone through this this life pivot and lived to tell about it has been invaluable. And and I feel like it's also just brought new folks like you into my life. So, yeah, it's it's and it's making me think about like I'm going back to school to study user experience design. And so I'm recording this very early uh, because I will be couch surfing and in class like 40 or so hours a week for 10 straight weeks. So it'll be a little bit interesting, but I I have to say, I don't know if I would have come to that move had it not been for the fellowship. And it's it's just been unreal. It's really hard to put into words. I, I feel like I'm going to get all schmoopy. And we are recording at Radio Kingston where there's a, a good work fellow, <laughs> a, a GWI fellow running the radio station here. And... Manuel, who helped us set it up, was in my cohort. I mean, it's it's wild how we've we've all come together. It is amazing. I think that the community factor and that social, like you were saying, that social currency is so essential to entrepreneurs. We, for the exact reason that you know, we start to rely on our employees as friends, and we put that burden onto their shoulders as well as ours. Uh, because we need friends and we need people who understand. And I think that the the best part of the Good Work Institute is getting to connect with other entrepreneurs who do understand in their own way and have their own insights and just care. Uh, so we've got this collective agreement that we are people who care and that's okay. 
Like that is, or that we'll just answer the email. Like right, right. If I had just reached out to you cold, I don't know if this would have come to be. But because we met through GWI, and I mean literally just in a meeting, right? Like it wasn't like we were formally set up or introduced in any way, shape, or form. And like I can't wait to go visit Awestruck. I can't wait for you to come. I mean, it's just it's really powerful. I agree. So we have gone all over the place today, <laughs> Patty. But thank you for sharing. And I think really, like, warts and all, right? I, I mean, sometimes... Some warts. Some no, warts. Not many warts. There's a lot more <laughs> that we just don't have time to get to. Well, if we were recording all day, we'd probably get to it. But I... I I just want to honor you and and say thank you for really showing up and talking about like entrepreneurship is not always a pleasure cruise, right? Like coming back to that word again, it's challenging and we mess stuff up and we hope it's not destructive to the people and places that we're in, but it's, it's challenging every day. And I, I really want to thank you for, for sharing that, some of those pain points. Thank you so much for having me. It's I feel honestly so honored and flattered and excited to be here. I really appreciate you having me. Oh, thank you. And I, I want to ask one more question because I always feel like I could put a punctuation mark on this conversation, but I might be hearing it differently than you're experiencing it. So what would you like listeners here in La Vital Core Salon to most take away from this conversation? I think that it comes back to pleasure and self-care. And if I had one thing that I could encourage any listener to do, it would be to take 15 minutes a day for yourself. Just 15 minutes. Do whatever you want to do for that little amount of time. That's the one thing. Oh, Patty, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Hey everyone, it's Kara again. Thank you for sticking around to the almost end of this episode. I really appreciate you being here. Wasn't it awesome how Patty shared some really realistic ways to navigate burnout? Which one resonated for you? How are you going to implement it? I mean, there's so many questions I have for you. But if you're looking for answers or want to learn more about Patty and Awestruck Ciders, highly recommend checking out awestruckciders.com or if you are within driving distance you could actually stop by the tap room that she described i know i have it on my calendar for this fall to get up there and we did talk about some different resources or reference or, or things during this episode you can find all of those resources and notes in the show notes over at levitalcoursalon.com so l-e vital c-o-r-p-s salon.com and please don't forget to show your support for this podcast or what patty's doing at awestruck by sharing this podcast with one woman you know would be interested in this topic or subscribing to the vital core salon wherever you listen to podcasts i want to give a big merci beaucoup to the good work institute for introducing patty and i 
I want to thank Radio Kingston for allowing me to record this podcast live and in person in their podcast studio. And I want to thank everyone on my team that helped make this podcast episode come to life. And that's producer Craig Snyder, virtual assistant Darlene Victoria, Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone, and the High Dials for the theme song. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you.